And away we go. It's Monday. <clears throat> Little frog in the throat. Played some hockey this afternoon. <laughs> it's one of those things where, you know, you get into a damp arena. I had a busy weekend, okay? I played golf yesterday. And I've got to say, uh, I was ready to play again on Wednesday morning, first thing, barring a frost delay, because we got delayed on Sunday. But still in all, I said after uh, Sunday's game, when it was just, it got uncomfortably cold. Like, hypothermia and golf don't seem to go in the same sentence. And so I just said, that's it. Forget it. Putting the clubs away uh, until I go away. But this is where I guess it was the last hurrah on the weekend. Man, it went by in a blur. I don't know about you, but uh, something that happens Friday night sort of bleeds into Saturday. And then next thing you know, it's Sunday. And here we go again. Oh, just weekend. Tr- the wheel keeps turning around. Whiplash weekend. Just about. Well, I went to the monk debate on Friday. Yeah. And, like, you know, I still don't understand what the whole fuss was about. Honest to God, I don't. There were uh, protesters out front. They delayed this whole thing by about an hour, Mm -hmm. you know, and so you're waiting in line again. You're shivering. Maybe that's where I caught the rasp. But uh, (laughs) you get inside the building as this debate starts. You've got a couple of people who want to make themselves known up in the balcony Oh, yeah. Unfurling banners. Oh, yeah. That say, stop the hate. Or at least one of the banners did. The other banner, we weren't sure because the person got up and started screaming something while attempting to unfurl the banner, and the banner would not unfurl. Oh. Oh, it was comical. It was like, you know, trying to shake this banner Banner down. malfunction. That's basically what it oh. was. It was like real low-budget protest. I got to be honest. Oh, you got to cheap seats. If you're going to protest with a banner or some kind of a placard, rehearse at home. There you go. You know, get the spelling right. Oh, yes. You know, uh, Steve Bannon is satin. I didn't realize uh, Satan is S-A-T-I-N. <laughs> so there you have it. Uh <laughs> <laughs> it's like with comedy. you got to work out your routine on the smaller stages first. Yeah, like you're protest hiring. your neighbor or something small. Sure. Or, you know, uh, your, your pets. Your pets, <laughs> you know. In front of the mirror. <laughs> That's right. Fido, how does this sound to you? Write it out. Fascist, white supremacist. <laughs> Even the dog is cowering at this point. Uh, Satin. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that's right. You know, he's calling the dog a fascist, and the dog lifts his leg. It's kind of Hitlerian right there, isn't it? Oh. No. Uh, it was really one for the ages, because I'm sitting there wondering what the Dickens was the protest really all about. It it really had very little relevance to what was said in-house, unless you're coming with all of this, I guess, baggage beforehand, which a lot of people ascribe to Bannon. And where David Fromm was trying to draw those links, you know, uh, causal links that, you know, he's here, he's a a racist, he's this, it's uh, all about, uh, you know, populism's about hate, ergo, I'm in the right. You know, not just the baggage of lugging the the banners, not the banners, lugging the banners. No, no, that was just a couple of people in the best, though. Uh, So... I love it. When the moderator, Rudyard Griffith, says to the first woman who got up and started yelling and more or less interrupted the proceeding very, very early on as the opening salvo, I guess, of in-house protest. He says, uh, you'll have to sit down and be quiet or we'll have you removed. She's still yelling. Uh, So he said, listen, uh, we'll have the police remove you. You can choose to keep yelling until they remove you or you can stay. Which will it be? I'll stay. (laughs) 
It was really meek. It was like a kid, you know, who was being told to eat your broccoli at the table. Otherwise, you're going to be sent to your room. It Without was, dinner. I know. It was one of those surreal moments you say to yourself, oh, come on, folks. Really? All of the fuss for this? Uh, she must have paid for that ticket. Well, that's just it. She didn't want to forego whatever it cost or 100 clams or whatever. <laughs> yeah. For that ticket. Uh-huh. And at the end of it, you know, there was a malfunction in terms of the voting as to who won the debate. Right. Yes. And uh, as we left, I was saying, man, what a turnaround. I cannot believe that this many people, because, you know, Toronto is littered with progressives, Mm -hmm. and it's a largely CBC type of crowd. It was really astounding to me that Bannon would have won that debate. And I said, wait a minute, how does this square? I was I thought to myself, man, uh, he made some good points. Not least of which were that, you know, hey, listen, millennials, you're the ones who should understand uh, that maybe more than anybody else, Trump's got your back because you'll never own a home or you're having trouble affording a home, you know, uh, because the party of Davos, he called them, you know, (laughs) all these well-to-do corporate types and, uh, you know, the ones who look after themselves when there's a financial meltdown, they're okay, they're looked after. He was saying it's all on the, it's born by the middle class. And I thought, you know, that's a relevant thing to be saying. Now, why you would want to protest that? And so appealing to the millennials that you'll never have a pension. These defined benefit pensions, they're a thing of yesteryear. And who's betrayed you? It's the party of Davos, as he called them, which I thought was rather interesting. And he referred to himself and like-minded folk as the deplorables. He was basically borrowing from Hillary Clinton. She should have copyrighted the phrase. Uh, so, you know, the deplorables have not let you down. It was rather interesting. And I what thought, about that scoring malfunction that you mentioned? Well, the scoring malfunction, it seems like uh, when I got home and I checked out what happened uh-huh. during the debate, the status quo, because they take a reading of how the audience feels yes. prior to the debate. And then they ask the question, would you be open-minded enough under a persuasive argument to change your vote? And, of course, you got like 60%, 70% say yes, and you know it's a crock. If I had a BS meter in the room, it would be melting down. That's what they need. Because it's only about confirmation bias. That's all it's about. Trust me on this. I've been to so many of these, and it rarely, if ever, budges, except in the instant where our buddy Mark Stein just destroyed Louise Arbour who's a former Supreme Court justice and a member of the UN Commission on Refugees, the High Commission on Refugees, he just totally eviscerated her. That's when the debate swung uh, about 10 percentage points in Stein's favor, even though overall the number was still on the losing side because you can't win. You're just uh, going in there, you're basically in the lion's den. And it's like a home game for one side, the progressive side. So, But, you know, it's still very instructive. It's a very interesting dynamic that plays out. In this case, they said it was some kind of a technical glitch. One job. A scoring person, scoring guy in charge of that. One job. Well. Once a year. And And I'm supposed to put my faith in electronic ballot boxes. Oh. Right. Or even maybe stats can and data mining. You know, all of these things. That's right. I mean, and the government can't get disability pensions for our veterans right. Everybody else gets looked after except the people who have actually represented on this country in foreign wars and such. Especially poignant at this time of the year, right? Remembrance Day? Exactly. Just around the bend? That's just an outrage. It's, uh, I don't know. It's one of those things where you kind of shake your head and wonder who's in charge of the store. Now, we do know uh, stateside that the store, or at least part of it, is apt to change tomorrow. So we're told we've got the midterms upcoming, and uh, there's been a lot of politicking taking place. Donald Trump, 
He's actually implored Republicans to get out and vote with twice a night now uh, rallies in all parts of these states that are hotly contested, either for the Senate, 35 Senate seats up for grabs and all of the House of Representatives is 435. Reggie Cicchini, by the way, is going to join us after 5 o'clock. He's on the scene, the Washington Bureau producer with Global National, and he'll explain on a need-to-know basis what is important as Canadians uh, for us, what is the takeaway from because things may shift if it's go uh, the Dems win the House, then maybe the you know that United States Mexico Canada agreement uh, may be short lived. There may be some alterations to that agreement. Some people are happy, others were not with what went down. So uh, it may just be a case of uh, things being up in the air. But Trump did, by the way, uh, implore Republicans to get out and vote. Give a listen. It's very important, even though I'm not on the ballot. In a certain way, I am on the ballot. Uh, It's very important to go out and vote, get your friends, get everybody, go out and vote, because tomorrow, whether we consider it or not, the press is very much considering a referendum on me and us as a movement. Well, he is the defining issue. You know, you for him or against him. Basically, he's the lightning rod. All the other stuff, I guess, is uh, sort of ancillary to that or what he represents on the immigration front. There's the economy, which uh, he can hang his hat on. And so uh, it'll be an interesting dynamic playing out. However, uh, it's interesting that the latest ABC News and Washington Post poll finds that a majority of Americans consider the economy to be doing well. But Trump says he's been talking more about immigration because that's what people are interested in hearing about. They all say, speak about the economy, speak about the economy. But sometimes it's not as exciting to talk about the economy, right? All right. Uh, Okay, maybe not. Uh, Until it's bad. Then people, you know, they start crowing about it. They tend to take these things for granted. However, the Washington Post poll, that's funny. Jeff Bezos, he's the guy that owns the Washington Post. And uh, he's the guy who's also in charge of Amazon. And Amazon uh, has got some interesting developments happening as we speak. John Turley, you are our buddy in risk management, as well as uh, specializing in capital markets, going to join us at the bottom of the hour to speak to those. The new Amazon headquarters, too, that uh, Toronto was hoping to get. As a matter of fact, we were shortlisted amongst North American cities. There was 20 left in the offing. And uh, they say that, you know, the criteria by which Amazon was using to judge had to do with motivated workforce uh I guess standards of living transit was critical, critical to the criteria from what I understand, which is why Northern Virginia or even Maryland, these two precincts outside of Washington proper were considered to be uh, the front runners. And now there's some inside information that tends to suggest that this is where it's going to Northern Virginia and we might be SOL here in Toronto. And I hate to think it's hinging on something like transit because we've really been derelict on this file. You know the story. I mean, it doesn't need repeating that uh, we've never gone around ending story. In, well, in circles for the last 30, 35 years. We could have done a better job way back when it wasn't so cost prohibitive. And uh, we still got to get busy. But here we go. Uh, this is why we may lose out on what? They, they talk 50,000 jobs and, you know, the multiplier effect when it comes to what that would mean to the local economy. We'll put that to our friend John turley Ewart. As I say, we've got our panel coming by with topics worthy of discussion after 5.20. And one topic worthy of discussion is something people have been discussing since Friday. It was announced late. After making a border announcement with Jim Wilson, who uh, at that very time was the Minister of Economic Development, about an hour later, the guy resigned his pos- position 
in the legislature for addiction issues. Well, Global News has now learned from multiple sources that two senior members of Premier Doug Ford's inner circle were forced to resign on Friday due to allegations of sexually inappropriate behavior. Which could be one and the same addiction issues. I mean, I don't know. Do you subscribe to that sex? I don't know. It's just a conjecture at this point because we don't know entirely. But uh, the allegations involving sexual misconduct were made by a male Queens Park staffer. And so the premier's office became aware of the claim late Friday afternoon, at which point Wilson was, I guess, uh, going to, this is the official word, seek treatment for addiction issues. And uh, but the allegations of the sexual impropriety were not mentioned at the time. So he's been kind of kicked out of caucus, if you will. Uh, He's going to remain as an MPP for Simcoe Gray, sitting as an independent. He's a longtime member of the conservative party, even serving as the interim leader following the 2014 resignation of former leader Tim Hudak, you might recall, in the aftermath of that lost election. Uh, But so he's sitting as an independent because he's out of the party, which it becomes interesting because um, the NDP deputy leader, Sarah Singh, says people should be concerned by what uh, is described as a lack of explanation for the changes. Give a listen. A shuffle in uh, cabinet, you know, four months in uh, without real justification for some of those changes. Uh, it's concerning. It absolutely is. Uh, I think it makes us wonder, uh, you know, is, is this government ready to govern? Um, and are they ready to do the things that need to be done for Ontario's families? All right. Well, uh, she goes on to say Ontarians deserve to know why a minister facing multiple lawsuits and who's deeply intertwined in a scam that built Ontario families out of 40 million will remain in cabinet and in caucus. Who's that referencing? I don't have a clue. I mean, I'm sorry, but I should know that. We'll find out. She does say Doug Ford has a lot to answer to after he and his insiders cooked up a new cabinet in the dead of night and behind closed doors without any explanation to Ontario families or media. These actions make it abundantly clear that Ford's trying to paper over the problems in his hand-picked cabinet to remove and demote a number of ministers after just a few months is troubling. Oh, is it really? I don't know. I mean, that's his prerogative, isn't it? But is the public owed a further explanation? Well, we had the explanation on the Jim Wilson story. You know, they say addiction issues. If Global News has rooted out uh, that there's another narrative here, could be sexual improprieties, allegations therein and thereof, which, by the way, Uh, Is that something for which, boy, I'm just thinking of the recent tenure of the Liberals, where all kinds of allegations flying around and nobody fell on their sword at that point. It wasn't exactly like, you know, the honor system in the Westminster uh, type of parliament where any allegation and suddenly the person recuses themselves. Those Liberals hung in till the death and even till there was actually a court, a court case. And so where uh, Doug Ford is concerned, is it... uh, good enough that he's actually just shuffled uh some folks around because some people went missing in action you've got jim wilson he's resigned or forced to resign so he stepped down he's as an independent so you've got to fill that vacancy and when you fill that vacancy it's like domino so you change the role of certain people one person moves from a ministry into another one then one becomes vacant and so on and so forth I'm going to open the lines on that note, and then we'll uh, talk about what Amazon's got up its sleeve insofar as things that could be impactful to Ontario and Toronto. They're also uh, dropping a 
$25 uh, shipping minimum for holidays. Interesting. Black Friday is just around the bend, too. That's American Thanksgiving, which is, I think, the 22nd, so it would be the 23rd, wouldn't it, of November. So we're a couple of weeks out. And uh, that's a big, big day because Canada matches in kind. We've got, for competitive reasons, uh, people here, the retailers and so on and so forth, they also drop their prices, and uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, dropping the shipping fee. Oh, and Lowe's has decided to shutter 31 unperforming stores, uh, underperforming stores in Canada, nine of which are in Ontario, some in Mississauga. Um, I'll get you that list here shortly because they're trying to consolidate with their profitable stores. And since they bought Rona for $2.3 billion or $3.2 billion, I guess it was, back in uh, 2016, they're really trying to streamline things. Some jobs will be lost. Others will be repositioned. It's kind of like the conservative cabinet at the legislature. Let's come back. Let's find out if you believe in this instant where you've got Sarah Singh, who's the Ontario NDP deputy leader, clamoring for more information. Is it owed? Is it really owed? Or is it something that, well, you shuffle a cabinet from time to time? That's your prerogative as premier. And now we deal with it. If you want to get upset because you've got to change the names and the headings on uh, the literature and uh, the business cards, okay, uh, I'm not that picky. But let's find out if the public is owed a further explanation on this cabinet shuffle Doug Ford announced on the weekend.